Hey, Scott here with Grace Bible Church. Before we get into this message, I just wanted to thank you for streaming this sermon. We pray that each week you are challenged by who God is and what he has done for you. Now, this is never meant to be a substitute for you to be an active member of a community of faith. If you live in the Hollidaysburg area, or if you're in town for any reason, we encourage you to gather with us on Sunday mornings for our word and worship. You can learn more about what God is doing through our church body on our website, gbclive.org. So previously, uh, in previous weeks here, we've learned that we are to grow one another. Now, we actually can't make that growth happen, but what we can do is create opportunities for that growth to happen by pointing people back to the truths of the gospel. Um, I think Brian did a, a great job uh, last week talking about the, the, the motivation kind of behind that because I feel like we gloss over the motivation and just want to get right down to the, the nitty-gritty of, like, well, what do I got to do? And then, you know, then off we go. Uh, but we forsake the beauty that's behind the love that God has for us. And so I think that really affects our motivation for why we're actually discipling. So I thought he did. If you didn't listen to that, um, we do podcast our lessons so that you can go back and kind of track through that. Or if you think you like missed something or didn't understand something, it's a great, great tool to do that. So this week we're going to focus on the means of discipleship. In other words, the methods of discipleship. So here's like a think about it question, like right off the bat. Uh, I've been kind of like processing this idea of discipleship for quite a few years now. Um, have a lot to say, so I'm going to try to stick to my notes uh, today. Um, but this is a think about it question. If God answered every one of your prayers from the last six months, would the world be turned upside down for Jesus? So another question would be, do we have world vision when it comes to God's kingdom or the gospel going out to others? kind of heavy question, but it kind of leads into our main idea for today. So the means of discipleship, main idea. One of the chief means by which we grow as disciples of Jesus Christ is through personal relationship in which we bring the truths of the gospel to bear on the details of life. So like I said, I get pretty passionate about discipleship, um, mostly because I think it's a, a vital weapon in our battle with sin that I think just kind of is not wielded very much. It's me wielding a sword. Um, I feel like it just kind of like gets tucked in there and we kind of know it's there, but we don't necessarily know when to use it or how to use it. So it just kind of stays tucked away. Um, I'm a little grieved, just to be honest with you. Morning. I'm a little grieved. Um, the fact that, it ha- that discipleship has been stifled or suffocated, I feel, is a word, maybe a word to use, in the church today. Um, so if anybody wants to have conversations about discipleship, it's really hard to teach about discipleship instead of just like talking about it, uh, because I sit around the table and talk about it a lot. Um, but if anybody wants to sit and talk through these concepts after you know, the lesson today, always willing. So I was saved when I was 21 years old and did not see means or methods or even the vision of how discipleship worked until I was probably in my 30s. Hence my, my passion and my, uh, I, I like sense the need. 
That wasn't me. That's our... <laughs> well, you made it. <laughs> so, a part, a part of that, that transition was due to my immaturity, but I think a part of that was also that it wasn't being modeled in my life. Discipleship is something that is better caught than taught, and that's what we're going to focus on kind of today. So I kind of have this lesson broken down into like five points, and I have this on the handout in case you think this is like way too much information. Kind of just have these five points on there with with some Bible passages to kind of support it. Um, So the means of discipleship is, you know, we grow. The fact that we're disciples of Jesus Christ. The fact that he works that through personal relationships by using truths of the gospel to speak into the details of everyday life. So first off, we grow. So this is a process, <laughs> okay? This is a process. Growth is a process. We know from our physical growth that it doesn't happen overnight. So we have to be patient, Adam. <laughs> we have to give yourself grace, Adam. And we definitely need to give grace to others as they are growing, mainly because God has given us grace and Jesus has given us grace. But grace doesn't enable us to play in our own personal little puddle, okay? So I don't want you to think that. A true understanding of God's grace does just the opposite. Gospel fruit grows from gospel roots. If we look at Hebrews 6, 1 through 3, real quick, this is in the ESV, He says, the the writer says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instruction about washings and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. (laughs) So I don't usually do this, but... This is, this is the, the message version of that, just because we're talking about like practical outworking of, of the truths of the Bible and the gospel. So this is the same passage, just in a different translation. He says, so come on, let's leave the preschool finger painting exercises of, on Christ and get on with the grand work of art. Grow up in Christ. The basic foundational truths are in place, turning your back on salvation by self-help and turning in trust towards God. Baptismal instructions, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. God helping us will stay true to all of that, but there's so much more. Let's get on with it. (laughs) So that's what we're doing here, right? Let's get on with it, right? some, Some of us have been studying the word so much. Like, let's get on with practicing that, that living that out, okay? God gets so much glory in that. So through the discipleship process, there should be growth. There should be maturing of faith. There should be maturing of character. There should be maturing of the love that we have towards others and increasing amounts of humility. This is 2 Peter 3.18. And this is how he basically punctuates his, his letter, his second letter here. He says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
To him be the glory, but now and to the day of eternity, of both now. Um, so with this, it's not just knowing that God is gracious. It's not just knowing the truths about Jesus. It's growing in those truths. Secondly, the means of discipleship is the fact that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. And I misspelled. Yeah, that is the original um, (laughs) Hebrew Greek. Uh, Yeah, Jesus often uh, referred to himself this way. That is heresy, everybody. (laughs) So not disciples of Adam Michael or this teacher or this pastor or that pastor. I think, like as humans, we so much want to follow people, right? We have our favorite authors. We have our favorite whatever, you know, whomevers, I should say. But, guys, we're disciples of Jesus Christ. Like, put, or, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> that was dumb. <laughs> but, you know what I mean? Like, let's, let's focus on who we're disciples of. So, I mean, I can't overlook. Sean talked about this passage a couple weeks ago, but I definitely want to, like, dive into Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Fun fact that verse 16 is the only post-resurrection appearance by Jesus set by previous appointment. So this is something he, already, he told them, hey, go here. So then they went there and met him. The only time uh, after Jesus was resurrected that um, he appointed them to go somewhere. Verse 17, And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So in verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So teaching is a huge part of discipleship, but it needs to be directed in obeying God and the commandments of Christ instead of obedience solely due to preferences. So that's where discipleship can get kind of hairy as we kind of jump right to other people's maybe preferences or ways of doing things and don't focus on the actual commands themselves. So that's, that's what we're doing right here. The command in this passage is to make disciples. And I'm going to say that again. The command in this passage that Jesus gave is make disciples. So the command is not to teach. The command is not to baptize or even just going. I think sometimes we hijack the Great Commission and treat it like, well, as long as I'm just going and doing something, then I'm obeying this. Well, guess what? Just going and doing something isn't what Jesus commanded if we're forsaking the making disciples part. So what I'm saying is the main point of the Great Commission is to make disciples. It is a command of Jesus Christ. So I really like the video that Sean showed a couple weeks ago with Dever, Mark Dever, (laughs) or Dever. And he he started off saying that the, the germ of it all 
is helping people follow Jesus. And then he went on to these other things like, like evangelism and, and raising up leaders in the church and church planning and missions and all these things. But like the germ of it all, like the root of that is helping the desire to help other people follow Jesus. To obey the command of Jesus Christ to go therefore and make disciples. So how does this, if this is the means or the methods, like how does that actually work? That is a really good question. Brings us to our next point, personal relationships. So teaching is big and being a godly example is huge, everybody. And I'm so thankful for all the godly examples that I've had in my life and still have in my life. People that have led me and been gracious towards me and helped me grow. But like all of that, like what disciplinary good is that without like the relationships? Like, how does the teaching play out if it's not in relationship, like practically in your life? So if you feel like a stagnant or immature Christian, like I, do, I often do sometimes, or I definitely did, look at your life and see how many stagnant or immature Christians you have surrounding you. We all need strong, godly men and women pouring into us, and here's the kicker, regularly. It's not a one-and-done Bible study, guys. Jesus didn't say, go therefore and have Bible studies. He didn't say, go therefore and make converts. He said, make disciples. And if I seem a little jabby in this, it's, it's because this is really important. Right? This is a really important weapon that we have. So Jesus was a super big fan of personal relationships. If you don't believe me, look at your Bible, and we'll visit a couple passages here. I really think this is cool. So John 14, 15, and John 15, 14. Boom. Yeah, crazy. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. But what does John 15, 14 say? You are my friends if you do what I command you. That's kind of cool, right? Friendship, love, personal relationships. This is John 15, 12 through 13. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. We know Jesus took it a step further and laid down his life for his enemies, which is awesome. So John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Man, does it, does it look like love to, I mean, God so loved us that he gave us his son. Like, if we're kind of confused how we love people in a Christian way, it means give people Jesus. Help people know Jesus better. Help people follow Jesus in ways where, guess what, they're not. Like they're not even, Jesus is even on the radar in certain aspects of their lives. What a beautiful concept to, to point them to him in those aspects. So this is kind of like a revolutionary concept for some, for some reason. I mean, we use, we use this model in like pyramid schemes or sales or what have you. Um, but for some reason, like, the wheels come off when it comes to the church. 
okay? And, and this model is the idea of multiplication. So we, we, we so want to just kind of like add people to the kingdom, where Jesus' model was multiplying people into the kingdom, okay? So one of the, one of the things that I, when I was studying this years ago, kind of like really rocked my world was this concept of it's not how many seeds are in the apple, it's how many apples are in the seed. It's not how many seeds are in the apple. It's how many apples are in the seed. Like, what? look at the potential that a seed can have, the fruit that it can yield. That's where Jesus' mindset was. That's where his heart was. And he lived that out in his ministry. Jesus saw the masses through the man, and so he built and equipped the man to reach the masses. This means that Jesus saw the power in the heart of the individual, so we should too. With this concept, people will feel a sense of purpose. They will feel the the sense of gospel importance and responsibility in spreading that good news. In Acts 2, people were added to the church. So I'm not saying that that didn't happen. Okay, that totally happens. But then the increase came through multiplication. You can read verses like 42, 45, right? They all got together and they... They, they live with them, they broke bread with each other, right? They disciple one another. So if this is, again, kind of like a, like a foreign concept, which to me it, it was, I kind of prepared this little video uh, to help us kind of see this a little bit. It's only three and a half minutes. Would you rather be given $1 million or one penny doubled every day for 30 days? You remember this question from math class, right? This is when we all learned the power of compound interest and exponential growth. At the end of 30 days, that doubled penny becomes just over $5 million. Turns out, the same concept applies to missions. Imagine you fill the football stadium with 100,000 people for a gospel outreach event, and 20% of them came to know Christ. That day, 20,000 people would come into the kingdom. If you did that every day for a year, over 7 million people would come to faith. That sounds pretty great, right? Here's the question though. If you kept that pace of 7 million people each year, how long would it take to reach the world's population of 8 billion people? Over 1,000 years. 1,095 to be exact. A 100,000 person outreach event every day for 1,000 years? From a pure number standpoint, mass evangelism will not reach the world for Christ in our lifetime. What about a different strategy, inspired by that original math problem? Instead of preaching to 100,000 people every day, suppose you made one disciple each year, focused on their development, and equipped them to make their own new disciple every year. At the end of the first year, you would have two followers of Jesus, you and your disciple. At the end of the second year, you would have four, eight the third year, 16 the fourth, and so on. 32, 64, 128. Are you seeing the How germ? This is, this is what Deborah was talking about. This is a germ effect here. Years. Do the math. Something profound happens when we take a multiplication mindset. In the Great Commission, Jesus tells us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He continues by instructing us to teach those disciples to obey everything he commanded us. What was his final command? 
go and make disciples. So our role is to make disciples that obey the command to make disciples that obey the command to make disciples. We're to go to all nations and make disciple-making disciples. That's multiplication. Reach the few in order to reach the many. What if you didn't feel the burden to preach to an entire village or city or country, but instead were faithful to the simple multiplication principles of the Great Commission? The entire world could be discipled in our generation if we started with just one. What about you? How might God want you to be involved in making disciples that make disciples, in seeing movements of Jesus among every tribe, tongue, people, and nation? Would you rather fill the stadium every day for the next thousand years, or commit to making one disciple this year? Let's do this together, until all have heard, starting with discipling one. So, who's your one? Yeah. So yeah, um, I taught this a few years ago in this class actually, and I think Scott was like my example that I used and to try to like play it out. Um, I think I brought you up here and said like he was discipling me for a year. Um, we just used a year because it's a nice you know like round number, and then to see how that played out just in this class alone, how long it would basically take till everybody was up front because we were standing up front during this so that idea of multiplication the fact that there's seasons it might look like oh this is kind of slow going but i think you saw from that video or if you're like thinking through this that that actually takes off pretty quick after a while it just takes commitment and intentionality and that's the idea of the the personal relationship concept when it comes to the method or the means of discipleship now i want to say here that people are not projects, Adam. It's so easy to get passionate about making disciples and forget the hearts and souls of the people that you're pouring into and the struggles that they have. That's not what Jesus wants either. So this is, this is, this is tough, guys. Discipleship is not, I mean, if it was easy, guess what? You just saw like the stats, 34 years right? So what I want you to do is going away from here is like, so yeah, what is jacked up about that? It might be something going on in your heart. Maybe you're not on mission. Maybe you don't see the value of pouring into other people. Maybe people haven't modeled that in your life. I would say seek people to model that in your life. Break that mold. And love the people. Next uh, is this idea of the truths of the gospel, a.k.a. teaching. Now, in those relationships, I don't even necessarily think of this as like teaching a class, but more like informing people, reminding people of the good news where they're forgetting the good news, uh, when they're having bad news situations. It's pointing, pointing people back to Jesus or even heralding the good news in those relationships. So at this time, I'd like to just kind of ask, what are some examples of this? What are the truths of the gospel? I mean, sometimes maybe we're, we're not comfortable speaking the truth to people because we're not, we don't, I mean, we know it, but we can't really communicate it. So how would you communicate some of the truths of the gospel? 
Okay. God is great. It's true. Do you have anything to back that up? Huh? <laughs> Creation? Yeah. Guys, read your Bibles. Like Sean just said, like uh, God created everything. He gave us Christ, who did some really amazing things, like not just saving us for all eternity uh, and bringing us back to God, but he did some really cool miracles in the meantime. He had that much power. I agree. Like, so great. What else? Any, like, specific hope that you would, like, hook on to in a time of like, trouble or struggle, like you were saying? Like, is there anything specifically that just jumps right out of your brain? What jumps out for me is life. Yeah, eternity. That's huge. Yeah. being restored in a way that you didn't even deserve and not just for a little bit till you screw up again or whatever but like Dave said forever <laughs> I mean eternity last time I checked is a really long time that should be really good news all right one more God doesn't change which how like, life-giving is that when everybody else around us does. We're so emotionally just up and down. We have a God that is our anchor, does not change. So the cool thing about discipleship, one of the cool things about discipleship, is that this takes place in everyday life. It takes place in the details of life. And I honestly think there's a difference between something just being true and being true to you and being true to me. And that's where relationships come into play because sometimes I see things differently than other people. And people that get to know me and are able to love me and speak to me the way that I need to hear it is super special. So by that I mean like the gospel needs to be good news to us. It just can't be this like hypothetical good news that just floats around that we hear about, think about. It has to be, it actually has to be good news to you. It has to be something that you put your hope in. I think that's what Dave was saying. That you can rest in, that gives you peace. And when you find it's not, like it's almost like it's depleted, that's why we need other people to remind us it doesn't go away, it is eternal. So let's look at Ephesians 5, 15 through 16. This is Paul writing. He says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, 
making the best use of the time because the days are evil. We need to bring the truths of the gospel to bear down on the details of our lives. They just can't float around. They need to bear down like into that unbelief. We need to make the best use of our time. Jesus did. Like he was he was so busy, but he was like so caring in all the interactions that he had with people. Just so willing to speak the truth to them. I pray that we would have that kind of willingness. I can't uh, overlook. This is a passage uh, Andy is sitting here. Um, I was kind of going through some stuff a couple years ago, and uh, Andy just kind of like texted me the one morning. I was driving. I dropped the kids off at school, and I'm like driving to work, and I get this text, and I'm like, oh, it's just Andy. <laughs> I read that like never. No, I'm just kidding. Um <laughs> No, he, he kind of just sent me the 37. This is Romans 8. He sent me the, I think it was like just 38 through 39. Um, but perfect example of just a, a little way that somebody can, can give you hope, maybe, whenever, or point you back to hope when you're not believing it. Um, I'm just going to read 8. This is 31 through 39, because there's so much, like, caked through here is Paul's. And Paul didn't even, like, go to this church yet. That's a cool thing. He wrote this letter, and he didn't even, like, show up yet. Um, but if you're wondering, sitting here, like, I don't actually know how to speak some of these truths into people's lives. Like, take, <laughs> take a little bit out of Paul's playbook here, okay? So I'll just read it. He says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, that's a good one. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously graciously give us all things? That's a really good question to like dig at the heart of what's going on. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. That's really good news right there. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It's a really good question. Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, Famine, he's almost like Paul Tripp <laughs> right in this. He's just beating us over the head here. Or I guess Paul Tripp would be like Paul. Uh, or famine, nakedness, danger, a sword. He says, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor nor heights, or depths, or anything in all creation will separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Wow. 
What an encouragement. (laughs) What a practical way to speak to people that need to hear this kind of truth. Discipleship is not just the program, guys. This is real life. This is hearts and souls of people and helping them grow. I'm willing to bet that Paul didn't just write this stuff. I'm pretty sure he communicated this to like everybody. <laughs> Says he was coming in contact with people. I love I love Paul's writings. But in this, realize that God is gracious in the details of what we're doing in life. Right? Discipleship can happen at the grocery store. That's how beautiful this is. It can happen on the way to a Bible study. That's how beautiful this is. Like, it, there's, there's nowhere where it can't happen. <laughs> right? Like, it, that's how amazing discipleship is. And we should not forsake the method or the means of it. So I'm going to point you back to the main idea. This is one of the chief means by which we grow as disciples of Jesus Christ is through personal relationships in which we bring those truths of the gospel to bear on the details of life. That's what separates discipleship from any other kind of relationship that you have in this life. So next week, we are going to, Lord willing, speak through the enemy of discipleship, kind of like what screws that up, which it's fitting that Scott's going to teach that one. (laughs) So let's pray. Let's pray for Scott. (laughs) And then we'll get going.